Welcome to Football Neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports, but little about soccer, uh, football, journeys through the 2018-19 English Premier League season to discover a team to root for. I'm your host, Nate Hughes. Welcome to this week's episode of Football Neophyte Podcast. After a long international break where I was both international in Mexico on vacation with my family and the teams were international. We are back and I am very excited this week to have with us Simon K. He's at AFCBDad on Twitter uh, and a supporter of AFC Bournemouth. Simon, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks. Nice to be here, Nate. Nice to be speaking to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. So, uh, Bournemouth, give me a bit of your story. How did how did you become a fan of the, the club? I was about five or six when I first went to a game. Now in my mid-40s, so I was taken on by my parents just to experience what a game of football or soccer was like. Yeah. It all kind of started from there. I think the first game we ever watched was some 4-3 game. I can't remember who we were playing. And then throughout my life, I've been attached to the club ever since. I've had phases where I haven't gone as regularly as other times. And I've had seasons back-to-back where I've been a season ticket holder. But my whole family's now evolved to be fans. And both myself, my wife, and my three children are all season ticket holders to this day and age. So we've been through many years, the ups and downs, the uh, trials and tribulations of the adventure. So do, do you live in Bournemouth then? I live outside of Bournemouth, so about okay. you know ten miles to the west. Okay, great. It's always nice to have that history of family. I find myself that's why I'm a fan of most of the teams I'm a fan of now is to have my family and wanting to pass that tradition on to my kids to just have another thing to connect around. And so I, I appreciate that. And that's what makes this journey exciting for me is. I have no connections to these clubs. And so I get to look at it from a fresh perspective. So give me a little, give me a little history of, of AFC Bournemouth. Um, even just starting with the name, why AFC? Obviously most of the clubs have their name plus FC at the end. What's, what's AFC stand for and why, why AFC? Okay. So back in the uh, early 1920s or even prior to that, the local club in the area was a team called Boscombe Athletic. Boscombe is an area of Bournemouth, just like any other town or city has different districts or areas. But as the team evolved and the area grew, and obviously the nearest town or biggest conurbation was called Bournemouth, they obviously wanted to change the name to be more synonymous with the overall location as opposed to a small borough within the conurbation of Bournemouth. And hence why when they put the names together, you ended up with keeping the AFC. So it was Athletic Football Club of Bournemouth. Prior to that, you had Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic and various other name derivatives. But that's why today the AFC is why it is, because of the amalgamation of those different elements to the town and the clubs that were around at the time. Got it. That that definitely makes sense. So tell me a little bit about the history. Obviously, there's a, a quite exciting rags-to-riches element to the club. So give me a little bit of that history. 
Okay, so obviously in recent history, it really has been a, a rags to riches story. Um, 10 years ago, just 10 years, which is a very short time in sports, the team were languishing at the bottom of League Two, which is the lowest level of the traditional English tiers of football. We have the Premier League, then the Championship, then League One and League Two. And Bournemouth have always been in those lower divisions, never really ever aspired to get to the Championship, let alone the Premier League, but we have. But 10 years ago this year, we were at the bottom of League Two and we were on minus 17 points at the start of the season. Why that? Because the club had no money the previous season and they had to go into administration, which under the English laws, that means you have to start the following season with a points deduction. So it was very close to the club going out of business because what? if it went down out of the league, the club probably would have folded. Yeah, can you explain what administration means? Uh, administration basically means you have no money. You can't oh. pay your debts. You kind of default. So as a club, you kind of cannot pay your debts. Okay. So in order to be able to start again, you, know, you have certain rules and regulations to be able to be a football club in English football in any tier. And you maintain that by being a reputable business of certain standing, which means you can pay your taxes and do the various other things that you need to do. If you can't and you run out of money and you default, then you have to get a penalty and that is by a points deduction. Got it. Okay. Wow. So yeah, so 10 years ago this year, we started the season on minus 17, only managed to scrape our way pretty much at the end of that season to stay in that league. Um, I do, you remember what, do you remember what position you finished that season? Yeah, I just went above, pretty much, if I remember okay. rightly. Uh, we just about managed to scrape out with, okay. I think, uh, one game left. Wow. Um, but the whole season, it was a case of, I think at Christmas, we were still on minus one, if my memory serves me right. And still had a long way to go because you can imagine if you take any soccer football season yeah. and you get to December and you're still on minus points, Jeez. how are you going to survive by the end yeah. of the season? But of course they managed to do it. Um, and, you know, current staffing had things to do with that. But yeah, that was 10 years ago this year. Um, of course, Eddie Howe was the youngest football coach at the time. Nobody else was really going to do the job. And he really wasn't thinking of being a manager, but he was given the opportunity. And the rest, without going into a long, huge, convoluted history, is actually <laughs> history. But of course, over recent years, what he's managed to do is take the club from that position, even though he left for Burnley for a couple of seasons and then came back, hence my favourite song, which I'm sure we'll come back to in a minute. Yep. And, and the rest of the journey over the last five or six years, you survive, you drag yourself out of the hole, uh, you manage to stabilize the following season, and then you evolve. And it's been an evolution since. Can we get up to the next league? No, you can't. Yes, we can. We then go and do it. Get into League One. Get stable there. Then kick on again. Can we do it? Again, we do. And the rest is really history. And it's always that element that people would think Bournemouth can't go any further than staying in League One. They'll never get any further than that. They can't. They're a small club. Their attendance average is 5,000. They have no significant history. So how can they attract the right kind of players and pay them any kind of decent salary? So that's why it's such a lovely story because 
even though some people would say, oh, you have a Russian billionaire who backs the club. He's not a billionaire. Nowhere near it. You can be competitive if you put together various different elements, just like in business. Yeah. You can be a great team. You don't have to have all the money in the world. Sometimes all the money in the world doesn't make you the greatest. Yeah. It's who can be the leader and who can bring those constituent parts together and make that team function and improve and evolve. And there's no one better and no better story than AFC Bournemouth because even today, the starting squad for any given Premier League game there's still probably 60% of that that is the same team that took us up the divisions, certainly from League One to the Championship to the Premier League. Very, very few, if any, other clubs can say that. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. So um, when, when was the first year in the Premiership? We're now in our fifth season. I think wow. fourth or fifth, it goes so quick. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And, and so of that, course, that... we were the favourites to go down straight away and the following season. I'm sure. So that's even this season. It's quite remarkable that so quickly within like, seems like five years, you're able to go from that minus 17 point to well, minus 17 was 10 years ago at the bottom of league two. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. So if this will be four or five years in the premier league and the other five years, we came right from the bear pit. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so tell me, you, you mentioned briefly your favorite chant, your favorite song. Uh, so what, what is that? Okay, so that's the Eddie Had a Dream song, purely because it connects to the story I've just given you. Yeah. Um, so I will sing it for you or Yeah, give me a little bit of Eddie. So yeah, give me a little Eddie Had a Dream. It goes like this. So uh, Eddie had a dream on minus 17. We had no money, so we signed the players on loan. We play from the back with pace in attack. He went to Burnley and then he came back. (laughs) That's great. I love it. So good. That's something so unique to, to soccer that or football that we don't have in the States, you know, maybe a couple little things that we do in different sports, but, but this kind of, book of songs and chants that the fans sing and that connect to the players or the, or the managers is, is something so fun and unique. I love it. Yeah. Agreed. So tell me a little bit, uh, why are they called the cherries? Called the cherries. Uh, many years ago when the club or the ground was built, obviously you have to find a location as any sports team does to build their ground. And it was built in an area of Bournemouth where there were cherry orchards. Okay. So hence the name, the cherries. They do play now, obviously, in a cherry red and black strip. But of course, it's the cherry orchards and the trees that have a greater connection. Got it. Okay. And And I will add that they are the only fruit, official fruit, ever to play in the Premier League. Nice. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, and Cherry Bear, tell me about Cherry Bear. I saw him standing uh, in the background of a shot, and I thought, what What in the world's that? Yeah, so Cherry Bear is the club mascot. Um, I don't know if you've had anybody from Watford on here yet who may have not, spoken about Harry the Hornet, who not yet. was basically one end of the spectrum of what a mascot could be like. Cherry Bear is the complete opposite. So if I was to say Harry the Hornet was very... Uh, forward 
in his actions to the away fans uh-huh. when you go to Watford and very energetic and animated and cocky, uh-huh. which I'm sure you're more familiar with with your NFL teams because yep. you have some very animated mascots. <laughs> yep. Terry Bear pretty much isn't. He's, he's down to earth. He's a cool kind of bear. You know, gets down, likes to play with the kids and, you know, do all the activities and he just does a great thing. That's cool. Final question before we move on to talk about the match a little bit. Uh, who is who is Bournemouth's rival? Uh, is there a local derby that's kind of intense or fierce? Not really. Um, again, obviously, it depends on your generation of what generation of fan you are of Bournemouth. Over history we haven't tended to have a rival for the first reason is we obviously are the only soccer club in Dorset, uh, which is our local county. Our neighbouring counties to the east, first of all, obviously, is Hampshire. Now, in Hampshire, you have both Southampton and Portsmouth, which is very much the traditional rivalry uh, closest to home for where we are. But after that, our nearest club to here would be probably Yeovil, which you can't really call a derby. It's always fun whenever we met them in the lower divisions, in League Two or League One, or now and again in the Championship. And then after that, it's Reading. Now, many people who are new or newer fans who've come on the journey more recently would say that Southampton uh, are our biggest rival, and it's a derby. It is and it isn't. To new people, it is, because they like to have a derby. Yeah. But to those who have been through the whole journey and the history, when we had no money and we were in the doldrums with the minor 17 and needed people to put money in pots just to pay the players or to pay the bills, uh, locally it was many Southampton fans that put the money in the buckets. Huh. So really the relationship between Bournemouth and Southampton has always been between the fans, a little bit more like uh, big brother is Southampton and little brother is Bournemouth. And Bournemouth can be a little bit antagonizing and annoying from time to time, but really you just like to pat them on the head and say, well done. Uh-huh. <laughs> As opposed to what Southampton and Portsmouth are, which is very traditional rivalry. They hate each other uh, to the nth degree, just like Arsenal and Tottenham or Birmingham and Aston Villa. Yeah, or, or Everton, because there's so much more history in the fixture itself. The more we play Southampton on a regular basis, if we remain in the same division, then naturally a derby can evolve. That abs- that that totally makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, anything else before we move on to the match? Anything else that uh, that I should know that that you would make your case for uh, me becoming a supporter of Bournemouth? I think if you enjoy your rags to riches stories and you're that kind of person, you won't find a better team to follow than Bournemouth. If you want the riches in football and you want to see your team in the Champions League and competing at the top, top, top level all the time, then Bournemouth won't be the right Uh team for you. It really depends. If you want some, a team that's also, even though they have the smallest ground ever in the Premier League and their infrastructure may not be the best, they continue to punch above their weight and they do it in a stylish way. There's many teams in the Premier League that may be traditionally bigger than Bournemouth in terms of their history and their standing, but I don't think they play football as well as Bournemouth do. So that's another thing that I would say is to watch and to follow a team, you want to be excited. You want to watch a team that you feel is going to have a go every week. There's many teams in the Premier League that perhaps 
set out a little bit defensive before they attack. We'll always have a go. Even now this season against the big teams, we're competitive. And it's probably the first time we've been competitive on a regular basis against the big teams as well. Well, that was something I noticed. We can talk about the match now. Uh, that was what I do when I entered these matches um, is I really, whoever I'm focusing on that week, I, I try and enter in as their fan. <laughs> so, you know, I, I enter in rooting for Bournemouth in the match and I, I really, I really enjoyed watching their style of play and they gave it a go, right? They had, I felt like they had a really good chance. There was obviously some, some uh, mistakes along the way, but um, there were some, some times of the match where they were outplaying Arsenal in my opinion. And, um, and it was fun. It was fun to watch two of the guys that I really uh, enjoyed watching were, were Brooks and King. Uh, Both of them had flair and, seem to be making things happen. Absolutely. Um, so you want me to feedback on each of those yeah, players? Yeah, give me a little bit about each of those guys, yeah. Okay, so so Josh has been with us for a number of seasons now. He's got a, a interesting journey as history. So he obviously was at Manchester United and then left there. Um, he had his formative years there. He was at the Manchester United Academy when okay. Alex Ferguson was manager. Okay. Um, so he had a good... Uh, bedding in, let's say. Uh, he then went to uh, Blackburn eventually. Um, Bournemouth then signed him from there because we needed to have an additional attacking player who was incredibly strong, very quick, but physically strong. Yeah. We tend to have that. And obviously, Josh has that in Spadefalls. And that's what's so exciting about him. He links up play very well. He's incredibly strong. But he does things that many other players don't. He can do the cheeky flicks through the legs. He can turn a player very quickly and more. So he gives you a lot that you need in a team that plays the way like Bournemouth do. David Brooks, obviously we signed him this season from Sheffield United. Okay. Uh, Eddie will always try, even though it's not always possible, to find uh, younger players who he can mould into the structure of how he likes to play. And obviously, David was that player. He'd done very well the previous season for Sheffield United. And Eddie picked him and got him down here. And we were all surprised, to be honest, when David pretty much started the season, immediately was put in the team. He'd obviously shown Eddie his application, as well as his abilities and training. And if Eddie trusts you to give it a go, he'll put you straight in. Yeah, And he's taken his chance with both hands and feet and head and whatever else. And yeah. he just does it. And he's got flair. And he's got natural flair and natural ability. Reminds me a bit of uh, when Ryan Fraser first joined us from Aberdeen. Uh, Ryan's obviously a different kind of player. Uh, but now that Ryan's filled out and got stronger, uh, he managed to keep hold of the ball longer. David's quite slight. He gets knocked yeah. off the ball bit easy from time to time but give it a couple of seasons he'll also get stronger but he's got the flair and he's got the ability to make something happen do you do you know how old he is like when i first saw him like because he had that uh he had that offside uh, where i thought he had goal scored and they showed his face and i yeah he, this he kid looks, looks like not a day over 17 years old <laughs> yeah I, I think he's 21 uh-huh um, but yeah he does look about 17 <laughs> 
He looks like the kind of guy that you'd see playing with the kids down the park. (laughs) That's right. That's great. I mean, I'm all for that. The more younger players, I mean, obviously he's Welsh, he's not English. The core of our side is English. And obviously with Brexit coming up, that's an interesting conversation, which teams actually will do okay with their plethora of English players. Yeah, yeah. Conversation you look at for another podcast. Yeah, that's a great point. Tell me about Lerman. He also actually, I really liked his style of play. Obviously, the own goal is is devastating. Um, but great finish, though. Yeah, yes, great, <laughs> great finish. I mean, the keeper had no chance. <laughs> no. Uh, so Jefferson obviously was a target that Eddie had for a couple of seasons and worked very hard to get him after the World Cup. Uh, it took a long time to negotiate the fee and to get him over. But again, as you try and get better and better in the Premier League, it's not just about how many goals you score. It's about how many goals you don't let in. Yeah. And we've always scored goals. And we'll always try and score goals, but we would let in a lot of goals. And I would always advocate, even though many fans would regularly shout at particular members of the defence, I would always say that's not where the problem is. If you lose possession of the ball, you need your midfielders to track back and wants to track back because when teams come at you fast, the midfielders have to work back too. Yeah. You can't just leave the defenders against the attacking team as it approaches. So we needed a player who was naturally mentally a rugged defender in the midfield, as opposed to a flair midfielder for which we've always been blessed with many. So that's why Lerma was so important to get, because obviously he did that job so well for Levante. And obviously, you know, had a great reputation there as well. And he's done the job that we needed. He gives that protection in front of the back four and he disrupts play. So if ever you lose position, he's the guy and we love him. He's different gravy. We can rely on him. That's great. Tell me what happened at the 26th minute. There was that set piece for Bournemouth. Uh, it's like a horrible pass off the set piece. Arsenal got it, started a counterattack, and then they blew the whistle and let them redo it. What what happened there? Yeah, this is actually quite simple. So go with me as I go through it. So obviously, it's always up to the referee, first of all, when a free kick is taken. It's up to him whether he waits and says you have to wait for the whistle to be blown or whether you can take it quickly. That's the first thing to say. Now, there was an incident earlier this season when uh, Bournemouth were awarded a penalty against Crystal Palace pretty much in the last couple of minutes where Jefferson Lerma was having a bit of, you know, not a bit more aggressive than the the minimum allowable with uh, Sacco. And then at the resulting free kick, we got a penalty. So what happened is the ref gave the free kick the guys are standing over it. I think Charlie Daniels and maybe Ryan Fraser were the two players. And the referee actually left where they were to go and have a word with Lerma and somebody else who he'd already seen pushing and shoving. But the players obviously thought they could take a free, quick, quick free kick, but they couldn't. The referee hadn't yet blown his whistle because he'd uh-huh. gone into the area to have a word with those two players. So hence why they kicked it, thinking they could take a quick one, one of them was alert and one of them wasn't. But actually, play couldn't start because the ref hadn't blown his whistle. Okay. So that, okay, that totally makes sense. All right. I'm pleased. Yes. Yeah, that worked out well <laughs> because that, was a, that didn't look like it was going to end well. 
No, it wouldn't. It was just one of those situations where I think one of the players who was over the ball was switched on to the ref, having said, wait till I blow the whistle. And the other one was thinking, let's play it quickly because half the players, Arsenal players aren't looking. Yep. Yeah. But it's always up to the ref when it starts. Yep. Heady play if it works, but when it doesn't, it could could be bad. But obviously the referee didn't allow it. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously if the referee hadn't already spotted that there was Lerma having a little, you know, issue with, one of Arsenal's defenders, I can't remember who it was, then it could have been a different situation. Yeah. Because yep. traditionally, if the ref is just standing there and not doing anything, you can take it quickly. Yep. If the ref has clearly said, I need to go and have a word with those guys, wait till I blow the whistle, it basically means he's not happy until he's gone to have a word with those players. Yeah. Uh, final thing about the match. Tell me what happened on that second goal. I mean, it looked like they just got out outclassed or maybe there was just a lapse in D for that moment. But they, they just played so strongly, it felt like, all match. And then in an instant, there's a goal in. I think that's one of the things being a Bournemouth fan. It's not, you know, enjoyable. It's one of the greatest frustrations that we have certain players that have that ability to mentally switch off for a millisecond. And at the highest level with the top clubs, you really can't do that. You've got to be switched on all the time. That goes for any sport. doesn't matter what it is. You've got to be mentally switched on all the time. Uh, We have got certain players that can switch off here and there. You know, I won't name any particular ones, but it's something that can be a frustration. Yeah, They do brilliant things, but certain players have an Achilles heel. But I'm afraid we are Bournemouth. You know, we are going to have certain players that may have a little lapse from time to time because we can't afford to pay the same wages as everybody else. So really, that situation was just that, a lapse of concentration for a, a very, very short space of time. But at the top level against the top six, that's all it takes. Yeah. That, yeah, that's kind of how I felt watching it. I was like, man, they let their guard down for a second, and you can't do that against these top-tier top no. teams. So anything else about the team that I, should, that I should know, players to watch as I watch other matches throughout the season? Um, well, obviously, the two players that have really come to the fore at the start of the season so far are Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson. So Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson are very high up, both the assists, assists tally. I think Ryan up until this week may still be number one in terms of assists. And Callum was, uh, I think, six goals and four assists himself. He just obviously had his first call up to the international team. He was the first Bournemouth player ever to play for the national side. Okay. And obviously to score a goal on his debut. Huh. Um, so that's pretty special. So, and also obviously Callum, um, Anyone who's ever had an injury in sports and made their way back, he has a fantastic story himself as well. And in the, in the game of football, one of the worst injuries to get often is an ACL injury, anterior yeah. cruciate ligament injury. Uh, and through the time we've been in the Premier League and the short period of years we have, Callum's had two. Oh. Uh, one in both knees. And he's managed to make his way back through that adversity, not only to get back into our team in the Premier League, but to be good enough to get into the England squad and then score a goal on your debut. Yeah. Did that goal happen to be against the United States? Yeah. Oh, that's so unfortunate. Do I, do I like him more? I think I like him less because of that. <laughs> well, it depends. It was just a friendly. I know, I know. No real. We haven't played a significant match in quite a while, which is another topic of discussion, but <laughs> but I think in terms of the other players, obviously you've identified, you know, Josh King, yeah. Jeff 
Murmur and, and David Brooks. You know, they're great players. I think as fans, that we also like the potential of, of Lise Mousset, uh-huh. who's a French player who's often on the bench, who comes on as a striker from time to time. He's incredibly strong and physical. He's got huge potential for the future. Great. Well, another thing that we do on every episode of Football Neophyte is have a term of the week. And this week's term of the week is physio. For our uh, American listeners, if we hear that uh, and don't know what's happening, we will literally have no idea what they're talking about. So who is the physio and what is his role? Okay, so the physio during a match, his role is to basically come onto the pitch when there's an injury or a player needs treatment. Within the club itself, there'll be various people within that team to look after the players on and off the field. But the physio is the guy that runs on with his medical bag. That's his name and deals with the players, whatever the issue might be, whether it's minor or major or whether they're just wasting time. Okay, (laughs) perfect. That makes sense. So he's essentially what we would call like a, a trainer, athletic trainer, something like that. Pretty much, but obviously he's more medically trained to be able to analyze particular injuries if you have them. You don't have to go off to like a blue tent like you do in American football. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Awesome. Simon, this has been quite a pleasure. I've learned a ton about Bournemouth. Um, I love their history. I love their story. I love the rags to riches. And they're above, they're in the top part, half of the, uh, the table right now. So there's got to be a lot to like about that. Absolutely. And that's another question as to what we want to achieve. Uh, some fans would say, I'd love to get into Europe. Yep. Some fans would say, no, I'm quite happy being in the top 10 and have a go at winning a trophy. Europe would be uh, top six. Is that right? Yeah, it's top six. Sometimes it stretches a little bit lower. Um, but over the years, it's, uh, that only happens if one of the big clubs wins uh, the major trophy as well okay. as a Champions League position. Got it. Okay. Well, I've learned a lot. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, you are on Twitter at AFCBDad. So be sure to follow, follow him and we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on, Simon. Thanks for your time. Good luck. I hope you follow Bournemouth. Ha, thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Football Neophyte. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. Thanks for letting me steal a little bit of my work week to produce these episodes. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org donate and donate to this amazing organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to our projects and programs and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org donate. Recording, mixing is done by me, Nate Hughes. To be honest, I don't even know what mixing is, but I'm editing this bad boy together for your pleasure. We're on both iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us and comment if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's Football Neophyte without the E. Grace, peace, and love. What's your prediction on this? Um, that they're going to score.
what a block. That was an amazing block with one hand. What should I do? Awesome!